0: Everybody, welcome to another episode of the Bottom Up Revolution. I'm your host, Tiffany Owens Reed. I'm a writer at Strong Towns, and I'm very lucky to get to host this podcast. This is the show where I talk to ordinary people who are taking a small steps, sometimes big steps, to make their community a more beautiful, resilient place. Um, I hope this show inspires you if you're thinking about ways that you can improve your community. I know sometimes that Strong Towns um, principles can feel a little bit intimidating or overwhelming. And it's my hope for this show that um, through the stories of the people that we interview, you realize that you probably have more than you need to get started. Today, I am joined by um, two guests. This is one of our special uh, double guest interviews. I'm joined by Adam Greenfield and Miriam... Schoenfield, did I say that correctly? Yes, you Okay, great. Adam is a transportation and land use advocate and organizer, and he is also the co-founder of Rethink I-35. Miriam is a professor at the University of Austin, and she is a board member at Rethink uh, I-35. Rethink 35, I-35, how do you guys say it?
1: Rethink 35.
0: Rethink 35. My apologies. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, really excited to have you all on the show. Miriam and Adam are taking on probably one of the biggest missions I can probably think of in any city, uh, which is challenging the expansion of a massive highway. So I-35, I believe, is a, I don't know my my, my highway lingo very well, but it's a state highway, correct? It's an interstate federal highway. Interstate. It's a federal highway. Okay. Yes, there is a hierarchy of highways. There's There are state highways. Uh, there are federal highways, state highways, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but yes, they're challenging this uh, plan to expand I-35 in the downtown area of Austin. And today we're going to hear more about uh, what that has entailed and what what their journey has been like, um, and I'm, I'm excited to share their story with you. To get started, let's talk about this highway, this highway in Texas, where all of us live. So I'm in Waco, you guys are in Austin. Adam, let's start off with you. For listeners who don't know, I gave kind of a, maybe not the most eloquent overview, but what is I-35 and why is Texas DOT trying to expand it? Um, and, and why are you all pushing back?
1: Interstate 35 is a federal highway. Um, it's administered by Texas Department of Transportation, our state DOT. It runs from Mexico to Canada, or if you're coming from Canada, Canada to Mexico. It varies in width along the, the stretch, but it through Austin, it's 12 lanes wide, um, six main lanes, and then six Frontage road lanes, which are these side roads that run along the highway that are essentially the highway, but they, they're called frontage roads. The highway through Austin is one of the most uh, congested highways in the country, so it is said. And that is exactly what you expect because, you know, as many listeners uh, to this podcast will know, the wider the roadway, the more it fills up with. Uh, vehicles um, so it's a wide roadway and therefore it's congested for many years there's been talk about um, rebuilding i35 um, certainly a lot of the highways and and infrastructure built in the 50s and 60s are nearing the end of their sort of safe lifespans and so you know they just need to redo them but, TxDOT has been saying for a long time that the highway needs to be widened to deal with congestion, to make uh, travel times uh, more manageable for people. We know that's not true. Um, we know that al- al- almost without exception, when you widen highways, it actually worsens traffic because uh, more people start driving. And we saw this notoriously with uh, the KT Freeway in Uh, Houston, which was widened to up to 24, 25 lanes uh, back in 2011. And three or four years later, uh, peak uh, evening uh, travel times had gone up 40%. And you see that similar effects in places where the population is going up, where the population is going down. Uh, It doesn't seem to matter. The Texas DOT here is proposing essentially doubling Uh, the lane miles through Austin of I-35. And by Techstart's own estimates, that would bring something like 130,000 extra vehicles through Austin, not every single year or every single week, but every single day, 130,000 vehicles um, coming through the city and all the pollution and crashes and, and whatnot that would entail. So there's a lot more we can go into.
0: Yeah. I just want to draw attention to the way that you're phrasing this. When you say through Austin, people might think like, oh, Austin's, you know, pretty big city. You mean the heart of Austin, like the downtown.
1: Right, right. We're talking right in the center of Austin. Um, downtown. So for those who don't know, uh, downtown is, is defined as the area basically immediately to the west of i-35 so i-35 is the eastern border of downtown um so it's it's right there and i live three blocks to the east of i-35 and most streets terminate at i-35 and so you can see this literal wall it is a wall um going across going through the center of Austin. Um, as history, before 1962, uh, I-35 was a right-of-way called um, East Avenue. And if you picture a, a wide grassy median with uh, several vehicle lanes on each side, that's that's what it looked like. And people would have picnics on that very wide median uh, there'd be graduation ceremonies. It was it was more of a community space, but critically, it was also a racial dividing line that the city had identified in its notorious uh, 1928 master plan. And that line was used to move um, as many people of color as the city could to the east of that line. And then in 1962, uh, it became I-35 and And that really cemented that line as a as a segregation line and And it still still holds today.
0: Miriam, can you tell listeners um, just from your experience um, living in Austin and being involved with this effort, um, in your view and and from where you sit, how would this kind of expansion affect the city?
2: Well, what the expansion would do is take something really, really bad and make the already really bad thing much, much worse. So as Adam was mentioning, you know, it's already a wall dividing the city. This would widen the wall that divides the city. Um, it already is very polluting. And, you know, there's uh, higher rates of asthma in the neighborhoods along the highway. And, you know, by increasing the number of cars by about 60 percent, that would just go up even higher. It would result in more traffic, as Adam was mentioning. And then like all highway projects and um, expansions, of course, it will involve displacing people from their homes and local businesses. So it's tragic, really, when you think about the enormity of the harm that's already been caused, the idea of doubling down on that practice and exacerbating those harms is terrible. I think what,
0: what might be helpful for listeners, if you haven't, um, if if maybe you're new to the city conversation or the urbanism conversation, there's a little bit of one piece of context that might be helpful here is this shift uh, when when we started building highways of putting the emphasis of like, okay, who's our customer? Who's our target audience? There was a lot of attention put on on serving commuters and thinking of like, well, the way we do our roads and highways, it, it the number one thing is to make it easy for commuters, make things easy for commuters. And so you, you might be scratching your head thinking, like, huh, people love to be downtown, shopping, eating, dining. Why would we put like a massive highway through downtown? But this 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 perception of highways as needing to primarily make life easier for people who are driving through the city is part of what's going on here. And so I can suspect that part of what, what you all are trying to do is try to try to challenge that narrative and try to say like, no, the point of downtown is not to make life easier for thousands and thousands hundreds of thousands of commuters who are just blazing through it
1: i would even challenge the premise of you know that anyone is benefiting from uh these kind of projects and this kind of infrastructure because what what you see happen when you build highways and you widen them is simply that that you incentivize more far flung sprawl development and so people live as a result further and further out and their commutes get longer and longer so really nobody other than a, a few you know construction companies that build highways benefits from from this kind of project
0: i kind of like austin but every time i try to I'd think about like maybe taking a day trip or or a weekend there. Like we just get, my husband and I would get so stressed out at the thought of the traffic and the same for Dallas, right? So it's just interesting to me. I'm like, what problem do you think you're solving by putting a highway through your downtown? Because after a while, it just becomes so unpleasant, even for the drivers who you think you're helping to spend time there, right? Let's talk about uh, Rethink Thirty Five. Um, can you tell us how this got started and what what are you all working on and what is your ultimate goal?
1: Rethink Thirty Five was started in twenty twenty. What a year! And uh, there's been conversations, as we've been saying for a long time, about what to do with i thirty five and for a long time, occasionally, you know, in a conversation, someone would say something like, well, why do we have this highway in the middle of our most valuable land where our communities live in the first place? Um, even I 35 itself, and at least 14 other Texas towns and cities goes around not through the core of, of those cities. So why 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 is it like that here? And when I heard that, uh, in, uh, 2019, 2020, that just, it just hit me because I'd been living three, three blocks away from it for, for quite some time. And I thought, wow, that's, that's absolutely right. This is not just a a fact of nature that this highway exists there. This was a decision that was made. And so, um, you know, it, it really started out of that in our initial first couple of years, because, the ideas that we were talking about questioning the presence of the highway and talking about um, alternative scenarios were considered quite radical at that time. Many would still consider them radical, but uh, part of the task that we had was really to normalize a lot of these ideas and and make them um, and popularize them. And so that's what we did. We presented to neighborhood associations and and business groups, and and knocked on people's doors, and uh, published on social media, and gave uh, media interviews, and just tried to get the word out there as as much as we could. Um, fairly early on, we were clear that you know, first of all, we should be opposing the expansion of I-35 because expanding highways doesn't work and makes many things much worse but also that we should put out a, uh, a, an alternative vision, but also be clear that ultimately the, the decision about what's made is the community's decision. And we can seed the conversation with some things that people might think about, but it is the community's uh, decision. Ultimately, uh, one vision that that we put a lot of our resources behind was the idea of the highway going around town and not through it using existing highways. And here in Austin, if you look at a map, you'll see to the east of the city, there's a there's a highway called SH-130, State Highway 130. And that was built explicitly uh, for people to go around town and not through it, but it's not well used because it it's tolled. And so one scenario, for example, is we could look at removing the tolls. Uh, once the interstate highway goes around town and not through it, then you don't need a, an interstate highway also going through town. And so you could rethink that right of way as a more urban environment, a boulevard with uh, dedicated space for public transportation, walking, biking, the buildings come up to the sidewalk, there's local businesses, there's housing. Um, and so that's, that's, one idea that we've been putting out there and, and generally is received very, very well. And I think a lot of people want to see this seriously studied, which it, which it hasn't yet. I,
0: I love that you all chose the word rethink 35 um, rather than just destroy 35 or fight 35 or tear down 35. That seems to capture really well what you all are um, hoping to inspire, not just the prevention of something or the destruction of something, but also more of a process of like, not even like, it's like, y'all are not even really saying, you know, we absolutely 100% think it should be one specific thing. We're more like inviting the community into a process, into a new kind of, um, yeah, new kind of thought process around this, this infrastructure. I know that you all had a pretty large rally not too long ago to bring more attention to this planned expansion, and uh, several hundred people came out. Adam, I'm sure that building that kind of support took a lot of time. Can you just tell us more about your strategy? How are you all able to get uh, so many people to care about this?
1: It's it's a lot of granular work over the past four years it's just a, a lot of everything we're talking about the knocking on doors the social media the the media uh interviews pre- presenting to all kinds of groups um getting out tabling at events uh, any any way that we can get out get ourselves out there and get the word out there and uh you know we have a petition online that people can sign and that 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 that's where our mailing list comes from, so you just keep at it, and you you know you win every vote, you win every every person, um, just like if you're a candidate running for office. An enormous amount of work went into that rally. You know, we're talking three, maybe four hundred people, um, possibly the largest um, freeway fighter rally in in Texas history. It was incredibly successful and really a, a coming of age moment, um, not just for our movement locally, but but statewide as well. And, and, and to an extent nationally, you know, this is a very much a national phenomenon. Um, urban renewal doesn't really happen anymore, but one of its um, <laughs> unwise bedfellows highway expansions is still with us and we haven't kicked that habit yet. And this is kind of one of the... One of those toxic legacies from the 20th century was still really to, you know, still yet to really wrestle to the ground.
0: Right. And that phrase urban renewal, just to give some context there, that's the idea of kind of where this all came from, which was using highways in this scheme that was allegedly supposed to clean up, I'm using air quotes, clean up the city and make it you know, more attractive to, to, to investment or, or something like that. I guess that's something kind of how the story went. Um, and and that, that was popular around like the 50s, 60s kind of. And that's where we got a lot of our highways from. It was like, hey, let's put the highways through the parts of the city that are least attractive um, and try to – I guess it was supposed to be some sort of signal um, to – to bring more and more investment, um, or just at least make the city look nicer to, at the bare minimum. So what you're saying with that is like, yeah, we're not doing that anymore. We're not trying to go through and, and clear out slums with highways, but we st- this highway expansion is kind of flowing downstream from that concept. Um, so Adam, you told us a little bit about how you all were, were gaining support from your neighbors, from people who, in the city can you tell me a little bit more about getting political leaders on board whether that was like city council members county officials can you tell us more about that side
1: yeah I from everything that I have seen with our elected officials I strongly believe that a large majority of them disagree with this highway expansion and always have and um, However, no elected official wants to be the the lone voice um, shouting into the wind. And if they are going to, you know, get involved, they need to they need to believe um, that their involvement is going to lead to some kind of change and some kind of action. So um, that's really been our job. Is once we spent those first couple of years building our, you know, public support, then we took it to to the elected officials. Uh, Austin City Council, um, Travis County Commissioners Court, which is the county um, body, our state level elected officials, our representatives and and senators there, and then also our U.S. representatives. And so it's just we've we've gone to each level and, and we're continuing to build support among them. And 2023 was really uh was really a turning point for us in terms of um, helping elected officials to take strong public stances on this. Uh, Not only did we get uh, more elected officials than ever before, clearly stating their opposition and their concerns about this expansion. But we also saw both uh, Austin City Council and Travis County Commissioners Court pass resolutions telling TechStock to pause the project while serious environmental concerns were uh, studied and uh, and addressed. That is extremely strong language for local bodies to um, issue towards a state agency. Um, And that didn't come out of nowhere. That came out of uh, months and months and months of tireless advocacy from many many uh people in the area that that our movement has been able to harness and uh a huge accomplishment um that said there are many elected officials who we still need to get you know on our side to to make those strong statements and and um actually get uh actively involved i don't think two years ago i would have believed you if you if you told us what we would have accomplished with our electeds in 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 that time
0: when you're having these conversations with the members of the political community, you know, elected officials and stuff like that, would you say like they kind of already have a hunch that highway expansions are bad or or that it, this is just a new concept, or like the concept of induced demand or the concept of like, you know, this is your most valuable land, you should put it to more productive uses or the the idea of using that land for more community? I'm just curious, do you feel like you're finding more people who have kind of already had a hunch this is a bad idea and they're just excited to actually have a space to express that? Or would you say that it's been more like educating and kind of putting it on their radar? Like, hey, I know that historically we've always kind of reached for the highway as this supposed value-adding piece of infrastructure, but maybe that's not the case.
1: I think it's a bit of everything. Certainly elected officials have a 1,001 issues that they need to address and it's very easy for them to pursue other issues that are perhaps <laughs> less grandiose than than this one and less intimidating than this one. And just kind of to sideline this one. So one of our jobs is just raising the profile of this issue for them so that they're thinking about it. Um, and and then there is education. Uh, in In my experience and and I'd be interested to hear Miriam's thoughts on this too. But uh when you when you approach someone, they've generally most people already know how they feel about something and have made up their mind. And then you have the sort of small portion of people in the middle who are who could go either way. Uh certainly with residents, in my experience, it's it's like that. But you do have some people who are open to persuasion. Uh so I would say with electeds, most of them feel this way or that way but where there's the more wiggle room is is helping to convince them that they can do something about this and i think that is where there's a lot of potential for 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 a shift
0: miriam anything you want to add to that
2: yeah i think in general both with electeds and with people that we talk to in the community um There that isn't, we've not spoken to a lot of people that are like, yeah, we think this is a great idea, expanding I-35 through downtown Austin. I mean, even just saying that sentence out loud sounds absurd. So that's not the response we get. The response we get is either, great, I agree, what can we do about this? Or, yes, I'm very sympathetic, but I'm scared to do something about this, basically. So You know, it's not to say that I mean, obviously, some elected officials like our governor uh, is very invested in this project. But locally, for the most part, people are sympathetic. And the question really comes down to how much are they willing to stand up to power? And that's what a lot of this whole issue comes down to.
0: Miriam, I'd love to hear more about what you've heard um, as you've been involved on the, the, on the street level, talking with people about this issue and trying to get them involved. Um, what, what else has stood out to you from those conversations?
2: Well, one thing that stood out is that, you know, a lot of people initially, so yeah, we were talking about elected officials a moment ago, and they, did, they do often already are familiar with the idea that expanding a highway makes traffic worse. A lot of people in the community have not uh, heard about induced demand before and and are under the completely understandable impression that their traffic woes will be solved by widening the freeway. And it doesn't take a lot of work to have that conversation and just give people real world examples, you know, like Adam mentioned earlier, the case of the freeway expansion in Houston, just that it doesn't work. And once you explain that to people, they really do start questioning um, the premise. Um, the other thing I wanted to add about talking to folks in, in the community you know, you never know where a conversation is going to go and what kind of impact it's going to have. Um, just this past Saturday, there was a group of Rethink 35 advocates that were out near uh, our Lady Bird Lake talking to folks on the trail about the impacts of the proposed I 35 expansion on the parks and trails. And I wasn't able to be there, but I spoke to some of the folks that were afterwards and they were a little bit discouraged because, you know, there were a lot of people who were just walking by trying to enjoy their day and didn't want to talk about highway expansions. And it was a bit hard to get engagement. Um, But they did like put up some like ribbons around the trees that would be destroyed and some signs and so forth. And then later that evening, we learned that uh, Trevor Noah had walked <laughs> along this trail, saw one of the signs, had some conversations with people about it, and then talked about it in his packed show um, in Austin. And so, like the word got out <laughs> to like way more people than we ever could have in a single day. So it really, and we see this all the time in the campaign, like. You just have to do everything and be everywhere and then things ripple. It takes time. In this case, it didn't take much time. It took like eight hours, but sometimes it takes time, but there is a ripple effect and and the word gets out and more and more people get involved. And it's really just a beautiful thing to see.
0: It's such an ambitious thing to do to challenge a highway expansion, but the strategy you took was just so ordinary. Like, How can we be everywhere, talk to everybody, (laughs) you know, and and focusing on that, I think focusing on that main action, which was getting people to sign the petition, right, and really building that volume um, of uh, – that building that base of people um, who who were opposed to this, that is just helpful to hear because it really makes this concept of, oh, how do you fight a highway feel a little bit more – like a little bit less intimidating. It's like, you go talk to people. Ta-da. <laughs> you know you never really know how many people in your city actually have the same instinct instincts as you or perhaps the same desire right but until you have those conversations you'll never find each other right it, it, there could be like a huge base of people in a city who all feel the same way about the way that something could be improved but it takes it's going to take somebody to start that conversation and and bring those bring those people and those voices out it, Adam, I'd like to ask you, with I-35 being a federal highway, um, I think, you know, like as I as I've mentioned, a lot of people might be intimidated at the thought of challenging the, the federal government and, and TxDOT or a, a state DOT. How did you not let the bigness of all of that, or the bigness of these agencies discourage you?
1: Well, first of all, it's important to not know too much. <laughs> And and many of those who have accomplished great things in history were the, you know, were the citizen activists. They weren't. They didn't know how the systems worked. There, they didn't know. They didn't know all the things that would have dragged them down mentally. Um, so, we certainly need to be informed, and we need to know what to do. But uh, but don't uh, over inform yourself so that you can't get out of bed in the morning. That's the first thing. You know a- anyone who wants to be involved with this movement is not starting from from zero. they're building on everything that's been accomplished before them um, and that's why it's so important to see yourself connected to this larger movement that's happening um nationwide. So we have very good relationship with uh, an organization called stop text. i forty five in Houston which is trying to um, stop and improve the, I, I I Texas, I 45 project there. Uh, and so much of what we've done has been inspired by, by what they've done. We've learned from, from their lessons and the same is happening with other groups towards us. We've gotten phone calls with questions about the lawsuits that we filed and how we've managed to get all these elected officials on board and that kind of thing. And so, uh, other, other people who want to be involved in in pushing back against a freeway expansion and winning a sustainable alternative, they can benefit from all of that. Uh, Rethink 35 is, is a founding member of the National Freeway Fighters Network. And that's a nationwide collective of, of groups like ours that's exchanging information and getting bigger and stronger all the time. Personally, I think that the way that we ultimately get to victory is through the chorus effect where you know the the residents uh, are screaming about the expansion the the electeds are screaming the media is hostile there's lawsuits there's uh, yard signs and notices all over town and it just it just that the air is just buzzing with the chorus effect and eventually these kind of projects just kind of weirdly go into development hell you know it's like it's like if you're trying to make thelma and louise too and uh it just kind of goes from this director to that director and then the new script writer and then it you know the financing kind of gets a bit wobbly it's really about just turning this whole ship around and all of the other movements across the country are helping our movement and our movement is helping all those other movements too and really, this is going to be something that we all win together.
0: Miriam, what would you say have been um, the biggest challenge that you all have faced in this effort? Maybe one or two that that stand out to you.
2: I would say that the biggest challenge. Well, yeah, I'll mention two. Um, one I, I've already mentioned before. It's it's this it's the fear factor. So. So this is not a campaign that's been very difficult to convince people of the value of, you know, and especially with the elected officials, a lot of people see uh, that this is a really bad and destructive project. Um, But there's this kind of vague sense in the atmosphere that if people push back too hard, something bad is going to (laughs) happen. And, you know, I think it varies from concrete to, to vague, but... These state departments of transportation have a lot of power. And, you know, some of the people that that we know have gotten messages from them to shut up essentially about this issue. So um, a lot of the there is a challenge there of really emboldening, emboldening, you know, local leaders and elected officials and the public to speak up despite the fact that a very powerful entity wants something different to happen. And that's a challenge, but it's not an insurmountable challenge because at the end of the day, you know, building the grassroots support and the public and the rallies and the emails and the phone calls, you know, that can push against the political pressure that they're getting from the top. So yeah, this podcast is called the bottom up revolution. So a lot of what we have to do to combat that, that those threats and that, 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 that power coming from above is really building up the support uh, yeah. from the bottom.
0: So I'd like to pivot now to giving you all a chance to share a bit about kind of your, your, your personal journey to caring about this, to caring about cities overall. Miriam, I'd like to start with you. As I said, in your bio at the start of the show, um, you're a professor at the University of Austin. Can you just tell, tell us a little bit about um, what inspired you to get involved in this conversation and just to start to notice cities and think about these things in general?
2: Yeah, sure. So yeah, back in in 2019, I, I really was not very connected to to anything involving city planning or transportation advocacy. I probably would have been pretty surprised if someone told me that that I would be a few years down the road. Um, during the pandemic, I went on a year-long road trip and and spent a lot of time in nature. And that that changed my perspective on a lot of things. And when I came back to the city one of the things that happened is that there were things that I took for granted before that suddenly struck me as absurd and horrible. And one of them was this tremendously awful highway that cuts right through the city that's noisy, that's ugly, that's polluting, that's dividing. Um, And right around that time, I heard that it was about to be expanded, that there was this plan to expand it. And it just seemed so absurd to me. And I decided like, I'm going to fight this thing. And then found <laughs> we think 35 and that's how I got involved.
0: Um Adam, could you tell could you tell us a bit of your your journey to activism, uh caring about cities, caring about transportation?
1: Yeah, it 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 goes goes way way back um but uh I think for quite a while before 2020, I had really been on a journey of of questioning how we have uh set up our built environment and how we move around you know as a kid there was always a voice in my head i don't know where it came from that felt like even when i learned to drive that i should keep you know biking to school so there was always something there in 2000 2004 i was actually dating someone who was killed in a car crash um and that really was uh, just hugely uh, stressful. Um, at the time I didn't really connect it with with the way that we have set up our world and the fact that we don't give most people choices other than driving. But I think over time it sank in. I remember later that year attending my first critical mass bike ride in San Francisco, um, September, 2004. And that really helped me see the power of collective action and it politicized transportation for me. And I actually have a photo of me at that ride. I was looking at it the other day and I felt like, wow, this is like a, you know, this is like a, a birth photo. This was like a new me that was <laughs> at that, at that very moment. And so just for a long time, it's just become more and more clear to me that the, the, the ubiquity of cars in our public spaces have really done profound damage to us individually and and collectively and we really need to to think and, and question and make changes the highway I think is just the most uh egregious vicious form of of this infrastructure it is incredibly destructive socially it's it's a savage unpleasant environment um, moving to Austin in in 2016 and and moving three blocks away from the highway i had never lived in an environment before where you can hear a highway 24 hours a day you can hear it in bed you can hear it in bed um soot forms upon your house from its emissions uh it just blankets neighborhoods in just this profoundly unpleasant veneer um 24 hours a day and i I, I've, I've never felt like I've chosen campaigns I've been involved with. I always felt like they chose me. And uh, when, when I heard what was being planned for this highway, I, I, there was no choice. It mm-hmm. just, I, I just had to act.
0: Mm-hmm. Miriam, um, you all just filed a lawsuit against uh, can you Can you tell us about that and what you all are hoping to accomplish with it?
2: Absolutely. Um, this was a huge moment for, for our campaign this past Friday. We, we filed uh, two things. We filed a lawsuit. Um, the lawsuit alleges that TxDOT failed to do its environmental review properly, and it failed to look at the impacts of the proposed project um, on air quality, uh, that it certain parts of the project didn't receive public comment, so that's really a lawsuit based on what's called NEPA, which is a federal law that that requires agencies to thoroughly study the impacts of these projects. Um, so we're filing a lawsuit based on those grounds. Um, in addition to that, we're filing—we filed on Friday—a civil rights complaint. So that's essentially a letter to the Federal Highway Administration um, claiming that this highway, I-35 through Austin, was built intentionally as a racial segregation line, that the harms of that infrastructure persist to this day and that the proposed widening of it will exacerbate those harms. So uh, both of those filings happened on Friday, um, it's a tremendous and very expensive effort. <laughs> if any of you listeners want to support it, uh, on weThink35.org. There's a way to, to donate to our for our legal expenses for this. Um, but it has to happen. It has to happen. So as we've been saying, like these these battles need to kind of happen on every level. They need to be talked about in the community, working with our local elected officials, and they also need to be fought in court. Um, so what we're asking is that the the courts uh, require TXDOT to start this project from scratch, in the sense of carefully looking at a study of alternatives, not just widening the highway, um, and basically pause this, you know, destructive project.
0: Even just recently, here in Waco, I-35 was expanded, and when I kind of scanned the official story behind this highway. If you read the official story behind any highway project and by official I mean what the city is saying, what the elected officials will say, what text it out, it's always framed as an investment, right? It's always I mean even the way it's listed in in city budgets, it's listed as an investment. I think that's a big part of of this conversation is learning to reframe that, um, and and kind of what you're saying, Miriam, about the the complaint that you all are filing, kind of reframing like how we look at look at the land that's being used for this. Look at you know it's being used to 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 move cars through the city, uh, and really challenging. Like, how is that an investment? Is this really an investment? Um, but then there's also kind of the fiscal side of all of this, where actually if you do the math, it's not an investment. Like at the very most basic level, when people hear the word investment, like most of us are going to think about, like like think about it from a financial perspective. And even from that perspective, highway expansions are not an investment, right? You, if this goes through, you you know, several local businesses would be shut down. Y'all would lose a ton of housing. Y'all would lose, like that would compromise part of the city's tax base, but also the city will be on the hook for part of this. So, um... Just thinking about kind of this how you all are trying to challenge that, is there an option to make that case? Like kind of say like, hey, this is actually extremely misleading. Like this concept of this being an investment for the city or, or adding value to the city, just looking at it financially, like that is not the case. Like that that is not if anything, this is this is not going to add value. This is gonna extract value from the city.
2: Well, it's absolutely true that highways through cities and highway expansions through cities are fiscally ridiculous in the sense that especially here in Austin it's some of the most valuable land in the entire state that we were getting nothing out of <laughs> nothing other than depressing land values near it so it's 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 utterly absurd there is so much value that could be could be gained um, from doing something different on this land from a purely financial perspective unfortunately or fortunately I guess however you want to look at it, the laws are very, very weak in terms of what a federal agency can or can't do, and there is no law that says that the project has to make any sense, that the project has to be a good project, that the project can't be killing people, that the project has to make sense financially. That's just not in the law right now, and we do need reform at the federal level um, to start making sure that these that the, the projects are are not are not boondoggles. Um, so we can't sue on those grounds, <laughs> um, but we can continue the, uh, the political argument and building the momentum from the community and from our, our local elected officials um, by telling that story, by bringing awareness to the idea that this is such, oh, we're you know throwing money in the garbage by, by continuing to do this.
0: Adam, anything you wanna to add to that, to, to that side of it, that kind of thinking about it from this, this, this question of value?
1: The, I, I think this is so critical and I think that many groups like ours, I think one of the biggest sources of help they could receive is to be able to quantify um, logically what kind of uh, um, financial impacts we're talking about here. I have seen elected of- officials and people running for office be mesmerized by just the words If we expand this highway we're almost certainly leaving billions of dollars on the table and if we don't do something else like reroute and and rethink the highway we're almost certainly leaving billions of dollars on the table too um it it is likely from from the economic uh consequences of other freeway removals out there and by the way there is not a single failed freeway removal every single one has been a success, um, but th- almost certainly there is the huge um, economic benefits from doing the kind of things that we're talking about. And really, I, you know, many of us would argue that that equity uh, should be centered here. Um, th- this should be a um, an a uh, socio divide closing project. So this is exactly the kind of project that could Uh, go a long way to righting the wrongs that this kind of infrastructure um, wrought in the first place. You know, imagine uh, the the millions of dollars of new tax revenues every year, that a portion of which could go towards helping people purchase their homes, preventing uh, displacements, preventing gentrification, um, funding programs, that help people who who need the help most. That that is a very real outcome of this kind of project.
0: And I think also when you told me at the beginning of like what that East Avenue used to be, right? It used to be a place where the community came together, rather than a space where the community was divided. And so I think you know, I'm sure that's that's part of what's inspiring you all with you know the the alternatives that you're putting out there of like, hey, let's rethink this. It's, let's see this as an opportunity to 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 further unite our community rather than i think miriam you said this rather than you know increasing the division <laughs> like expanding that division that literal physical division so two more questions. I would love for you all to share. Can y'all just uh, sh- share with us uh, what has been a meaningful memory for you all on this journey? Whether it was like a conversation with someone or um, a walk you took, you know, one one day or one evening uh, to, to clear your head, maybe you had an amazing epiphany, or, or just yeah, just anything that's kept you motivated, encouraged, or, or inspired you. Miriam, do you want to start?
2: Sure. One very very fond memory I have from from the work with with we think 35 was a potluck that we that we organized um on one of our pedestrian bridges um that goes across the lake. Um and it was, you know, it was just a very simple community affair, you know, people brought food. Uh Adam miraculously lugged a gigantic table on his bike. Wow. (laughs) I mean, you know, it was just us, you know, putting what we, we, we could do together. But it was a beautiful evening and it was a beautiful space. And it was just a great moment of community. But it was also, it felt like such a great example of ways of rethinking space, you know, like, this is p- public space. Our roadways, our highways—that's public space. That's our space. You know, we should be able to have potlucks on it. We should be able to enjoy ourselves on it. Yeah, it was a great moment just for community, but it was also a great moment of envisioning uh, how much potential our spaces have.
0: Yeah, that's that's wonderful, um, Adam.
1: There's there's so many. Um, So many memories. But for me, the most touching times are when I saw people uh, realize their power, um, real and realize the power of their voice and and their action. Uh, Last February, we held uh, we we helped with a I-35 Youth Day of Action and at five different high schools and universities across Austin, the Austin area. Students held rallies to, uh, you know, voice their their feelings about this this project, and uh, I went to several of them. But the the UT University of Texas Austin one uh, was very moving for me, as as were the others. Um, and I remember looking at one of the students who holding a microphone in her in her hand, backed by. Uh, 30 40 students holding a massive banner and 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 having this opportunity that maybe she had never had before to to speak truth and and that truth uh, was heard and in fact it was mentioned in an Austin City Council resolution about student protests and so i think that that is a sign of a wonderful uh, it's a wonderful sign of a movement when when you're empowering new people to to speak up and and act and act out um, like like they have been
0: thanks for sharing those memories um this this will be our last question which i ask in every show and i know this might be a bit tricky for austin but if folks were visiting your city or your neighborhood for a couple hours what would be one to two places that you'd recommend they check out to get a feel for uh local life um adam can i start with you
1: well, I'm going to go the the easy one and say first of all Barton Springs, which is an open air uh, uh, community pool. It is the the place to be in Austin on a on a warm day, and it's just beautiful. It's 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 grassy banks and limestone uh, limestone pool edges, and just absolutely wonderful. It's certainly one of my favourite places anywhere in the world. Um, so. Barton Springs, any any day, any time, I think, is a wonderful place to go.
2: Excellent, uh, Miriam. I will warn your listeners that the water at Barton Springs is very cold, but the vibes are great.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you get in. <laughs> <laughs>
2: um, another place, I you know, a lot of the a lot of the places that I kind of feel like give you the best feel of the local vibes are you know in Austin we've got a lot of these sort of Outdoor spaces where people are eating and drinking, and there's, you know, sometimes music and and just people gathering and and it's really lovely. And and there's a, a relatively new place that, that opened up recently though that I feel like really captures a lot of those vibes called um Cosmic Saltillo, uh, which has you know uh tacos and drinks and all this stuff. But they're all over Austin. So, you know, if you just try to have dinner somewhere in Austin, you'll find you'll find good vibes and good people and, and, uh, yeah.
0: I think I've been to Cosmic.
2: Have you? Well, there's right. a, there's a few different ones.
0: Okay. Yeah. I've been to one of them, um, last summer and it was really fun. It was right in the middle of a neighborhood. It took a while to find parking, but once we did, um, yeah, the, the, pub slash coffee shop was really great. They had a bunch of games. I think we played some games, listened to music outside. They were, you know, had the, the string lights up. But um, my favorite part was seeing people from the neighborhood just come in and you know, you could tell they knew each other. People were waving at each other and walking home. And yeah, it was definitely a vibe. Well, Miriam and Adam, thanks so much for coming on the show, sharing your story and fighting the good fight against this expansion. Um, if folks would like to learn more, Miriam, you mentioned the website earlier. Could you mention it just uh, one more time? Um, if yep, it's like...
2: rethink35.org. And there's tons of information there and, and resources. And you can also always get in touch with us at wethink 35 atx at gmail.com.
0: Excellent. All right. Well, we'll put links to all of that in the show notes as well as links to the places they recommend it. Um, thanks for listening to this podcast. And I'll be back in two weeks with another episode.